0: Hi, folks. Bob Main here with another episode of today's Survival Show, helping you do what you can with what you have wherever you are. Welcome to a no-nonsense, very practical, common-sense show. I don't go tinfoil hat on you. I don't know about you, but I don't particularly care to listen to podcasts or even read forum posts when people start talking about all these wacky, far-out collapse kind of stuff. I'm more of a common sense guy like Glenn Tate, you know, pretty much believing that we're going to have a partial collapse and a a partial collapse, even though it's going to have a huge impact. It's one that the people who are prepared are going to be able to get through. So that's why I like to keep this show rooted in common sense. This is episode number 235, and it's about canning. Now, I am not an expert in canning. Uh, I know a little bit about canning, but I'm not really good at it. But you're going to hear from two people talk about canning who 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 actually do quite a bit of it. Now, this interview coming up, basically, uh, one of my avid listeners and one of the most participating members of our forum, Mexican Joe, you've heard from him before, and he's on the forum, and he, he does a great job of contributing to our forum. He got on Skype and he talked to um, uh, Tabitha, the Macy's girl out there. And the West Coast, I've had her back on here. I mean, I've had her on the show as well. Uh, Tabitha Betancourt. If you remember, I had Tabitha and her husband, the dude. I I interviewed them myself. But they talked about canning. Now, this is very important if you're going to grow as a prepper, is being able to store and preserve your food. So guess what? I'm listening to this for the first time. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and listen to this, and as soon as I get done listening to it for the first time, I'm going to go ahead and just record a little uh, conclusion to it, and then that'll be the end of the episode. Enjoy it. Joe and Tabitha talk about canning. Okay, Mexican
1: Joe here, uh, helping Bob out with another podcast. Um, I have Tabitha again from Thumper Lane. Hello, Tabitha. Hello, Mexican
2: Joe. How are you?
1: (laughs) Good. Really good. Um... Uh, we got Tabitha on here because Tabitha likes to beat me up about doing stuff the way she does it and shows me things, and I just sometimes... Okay,
2: we got we got to say, I was right
1: again. Yes, you were right again. This is like I think the fourth or fifth time, and it's starting to really work on me. Yeah,
2: yeah.
1: <laughs> um, what we're doing is we're going to talk about canning, and this is something I don't think Bob's ever really covered. I know it's on the forum, but we're going to talk about canning. Um... I was recently invited to a pressure canning class. Now, me and Tabitha have talked quite a bit before. I do water bath canning where I do jellies and stuff like that and pickling stuff.
2: And everything that you do has jalapenos in it. I love
1: it. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, jalapeno jelly, or jalapeno jelly strawberry jalapeno jelly, peach jalapeno jelly. I have to find something to do with my jalapenos other than salsa. You can always put them in a box and ship them to us. <laughs> there you go, there you go. <laughs> so, um, I, ran, I, I went to a training session here about a, a week or so ago, and um, we were talking, I, I ran into somebody who's also a serious prepper and was talking about uh, canning and pressure canning, and I got myself invited to a private canning class where she was teaching to another couple. When I got there I knew that we were gonna be pressure canning. I got to, I was wanting to try out my new Christmas present pressure canner that uh that my stepmomma got me at Walmart and You
2: gotta you gotta back up a little bit.
1: Huh.
2: You have to back up to where you were you were talking about how you had hunted and, and, and that you your freezer was full and I kept telling you you gotta pressure can it, pressure can it, all the meat that you had.
1: Yeah, but then then you get to say I told you so. I know. <laughs> I won't do that. I promise. <laughs> Lie, okay. Yeah, no, no, no. Twenty
2: fourteen new leaf. I promise. <laughs> okay, just for
1: you. <laughs> all right. Uh, yeah. Again, like Tabitha says, I got to back up and tell that part of the story. Um, as as a prepper, we do a lot of hunting and and and, and all kinds of stuff—pigs and deer and squirrels and whatever. And that was always kind of my Achilles' heel: is that I worry about the grid power. And if the power goes down, I've got two and three freezers full of meat that I'm going to lose. Well, as the good prepper, I I have a generator and I have fuel, but the fuel is only going to last so long. So I mean, I, again, I'm I'm working on that on that on my power end, but at this point, I can only you know, fuel a generator for you know maybe a couple of weeks, and then what? You know,
2: it was three years ago that I met because we lose power here every year, except for. So far, we're doing good, um, but I'm not going to say it because then it'll happen. Right. But it was three years ago that we have some really awesome neighbors that are up the hill from us, and they can, um, you know, you save your choice cuts of meat, and then they, they can the rest of it, and they, they sprinkle some taco seasoning and stuff in it, and then they can it their elk meat, and they said that when they lose power, they don't have to worry about it, and it's a great meal. They pop open the lid, take a, take a fork, and just start eating out of the jar. Right.
1: Well, and and that's what I, you know, my thing was I'd always done the water bath canning, but I hadn't gotten to the pressure canning yet. Yeah, you can't
2: do, you can't water bath meat.
1: Right. And and the deal was, was I didn't, I didn't, I I didn't know anybody who did it to do it hands-on. And you and me had talked and you said that, you know, it wasn't really that difficult and I've got my ball, my ball's blue book here, but I don't like to read it and experiment with something that, you know, can be bad.
2: That ball blue book is... The um, kind of like the Bible to, to water bath and pressure canning,
1: right? But to me, yeah. there's the I, I like the instructor value of it of somebody actually who yeah. knows what they're doing showing me.
2: Yeah.
1: So, again, this has probably been a year coming, and you've been telling me I need to get it. I need to get it. Well, I've always had other stuff going on, and then finally somebody gave me a pressure canner, so I now had a way to go to go do this. So again, you're right. You got me again. Um, and I went to the pressure canning class. Don't
2: don't say don't say that I'm right. Just say that you've now advanced into <laughs> because now you it will it will force you to want to go out there and grow more vegetables and everything just opens up for you because anything in your house you can pressure can. Well, so if you can't if you can't water bath can it because that's there's certain rules. If you can't water bath can it, then you pressure can it.
1: But, now, am I right? You can pressure can anything, but you can only water bath can some things.
2: Yeah, but why would you want to? You've got to cook it for so long.
1: Yeah, yeah.
2: I mean, and it's the acidity level, um, and you always want to follow, like, the Ball Blue book, and I have some other books here that I, that I just live by, um, and you want to follow those recipes. And once you start following those recipes... Um, and I always make the recipe the first time right off because they are they are balancing the acidity levels in there, and they they've cooked it, they've tested it, so they know that it's safe for water bath canning. But if you're pressure canning, that is, you don't have to worry about the acidity levels. You just have to worry about the pressure, and you can you cannot go below the pounds per pressure for your area and the and the time where you have to start all over again.
1: Right. Right. Yeah. So I went to this class and I went to the class with the realm of I can take chicken and pork and venison and that kind of stuff and I can can it and I can basically start pulling my meat out of my freezer you know pressure canning it and putting it on the shelf and then of course my meat becomes shelf stable for and I was going to have to find out how long it was going to be shelf stable for it's good for, people say, it's good for um, a year to two
2: years. More, more people say just a year. And then it's still good, but it loses um, flavor and vitamins, and it just degrades from there. But it's still good as long as it keeps that seal. And I did, there's some podcasts that do nothing but talking about canning. And they say that whenever you've canned anything, you undo the ring. Um, because if you don't undo the ring, the can will explode. And I know the can, the jars explode because my mother didn't undo the ring when I was a kid. And we heard this boom, boom, boom coming from the garage. And it sounded like gunshots. And when they opened it up, opened up the garage, it was um, our yellow dune buggy was like covered in red splotches and dots. And the tomatoes had, had and how
1: long, how long? And how long have those been in the garage?
2: Um, I think... I think from what, I mean, she's told the story several times. I think it's more, it was a, a recent can, canning, and it just, she didn't take the the, the rings off. So because it, they didn't process correctly somehow, she's not even sure what she did, but she didn't process, something didn't happen correctly. And I, I'm going to guess it's probably the acidity level. Um, even though tomatoes have acidity, they don't all have the same ac- acidity. Mm-hmm. Um, and so she probably, and it probably didn't, something didn't go right. And then she didn't undo the rings. So instead, if she had undone the rings, the top would have just popped. Right. Because the top couldn't pop, the whole jar exploded.
1: And set off a chain reaction. Okay.
2: Oh, yeah. the whole Everybody in the neighborhood was out trying to figure out. <laughs> this was in the 70s. <laughs> everybody was out. And I'm like, what's going on? You know, I was a
1: little kid. So, so going on with my story, so I go to this <laughs> class, and I... And, and I'm, and I'm excited cause I've, I've got some, some, some boneless chicken breast and we talked about some meat. She's like, well now this, some of this, some of your meat, Joe, isn't defrosted enough so we can't use it. Cause it can't go in cold. It's gotta be, you know, almost room temperature. I'm like, okay. So I pulled out what I thought were some roast, found out they were deer steaks. Um, I had some pork roast that I did, and then I had some sausage that was from, some pork sausage from last year that I had had processed. So I just had a really big variety of stuff, and some of the meat, like I said, because it wasn't defrosted, um, couldn't be used, so I just gave it to the homeowner, kind of like as my payment to him for letting me tag into this class. So I was all, you know, I was pretty gung-ho about it. And then I found out that she was going to teach them to do something else. And? And it it changed everything. It absolutely changed everything for me.
2: What was it that she taught them how to do?
1: Well, she said they were going to can bacon and butter.
2: Uh Uh-huh. I've always wanted to learn how to do that.
1: And it was... I instantly grabbed it and knew the potential of it. And the reasoning is, is that as preppers, we can save a lot of things, but grease goes rancid. Oil goes rancid. Fat goes rancid. You know, whatever you want to use the, the, the name for it, oils and, and, and greases and stuff, they go rancid. Mm-hmm. So, my, the way I thought before was, I get, every now and then, every once a month, I'll get a gallon of oil. And I'll put it in the freezer and put it into cryostasis mm-hmm. so that my oil that, you know, goes in the freezer, from the time my freezer goes down, I now have, like, you know, maybe a one-year window on a gallon of, of oil.
2: You know, have you, have you thought about coconut oil? Because I just heard it stays good for about three years, and that's the conservative, um, that's not in the prepper community, you know, we all, we all know that if somebody says 3 years it's longer than yes yeah, it's
1: typically twice whatever they say yeah, yeah well that came up that came up during the training and of course now I want to go get coconut oil and freeze it
2: oh my gosh it's so good cooking eggs with it i will i will go back it makes it smells your whole kitchen smells like you're eating breakfast in hawaii <laughs> like a
1: pina colada breakfast yes and
2: it's like and it's so good on toast instead of butter i'll
1: have to try that i'll have to try oh
2: that. it's awesome yeah, it's a little hard to spread, but I just put a glob in between two pieces of bread, slap it closed, let it melt, and yeah. spread it after that. And it's really good. Yeah. And it, it's good for you. It, it's actually good for your brain from what I, all the research I've just been doing.
1: Oh, cool. That's very nice.
2: Yeah, and you don't have to can that, so it's totally off-topic. That, was, oh, that that's, was a thump. That's
1: fine. Yeah, you're th- yeah, we're thumping. <laughs> um, well, so my thought was, and, I, and as I was talking to this girl, and her, na- her name is Dawn, I won't give her last name. But her name is Dawn and Hello Dawn.
2: Thank you so much. I so appreciate what you've done.
1: <laughs> yes, well she yeah, she's uh she's now a uh uh she's a subscriber to uh to our Facebook group. Um so she's on there and she, she always chimes in with me. But we started talking about it and butter obviously has its its own thing. It's butter. Okay, first off, one it's real butter. And we preserved it. Now she said that she says that they have she has a th- she guesses that there's a three year shelf life on butter, so I'm like, okay, but once we start doing butter, we can start rotating butter, and if anything ever happens, we've got a three year time frame to start,
2: yes,
1: and you know, like Glenn Tate says, you know two hundred and ninety nine days well, you know if I can get three years, I'm good you know with some butter, yes. but the really important one to me was bacon, okay I mean Dave is just crazy about bacon. He'll eat a bacon anything, but.
2: Well, my husband's so crazy about bacon, he wants to raise
1: pigs. Yeah, I've done that. It's it, it, it's okay. It's more worth than it's, I think it's worth. But but to me, she was doing. She said we were going to do bacon. and She had some really tall jars because she showed us two ways. She showed us how to do strip bacon, and then she showed us how to do like bacon bits or just kind of bacon pieces. Now the bacon strips are pretty but because they've been pressure canned they don't have the consistency of bacon so they're very fragile Okay. and I am more uh, realistic and efficient, I'd rather just have a jar of bacon
2: now and how is she doing it, is she cooking it before no. she puts it in the jar or does she just <laughs> chop it up, put it in the jar she
1: takes uh, oh what's the paper, it's not paraffin paper. Pa- paper parchment oh. paper
2: Parchment paper. She takes parchment
1: paper, she lays it down, she folds about all, almost half of it back, and she, she lays the bacon down on the parchment paper all the way across. And I want to say it was about a three-foot section. So she just kind of lays the bacon, you know, a single slice all the way across. She folds the parchment paper over on top of it, and then she rolls it up. And then she sticks it in these really tall jars. They're not quite, I I don't want to say they're as big around as a quart jar, but they're really tall. Okay. And that's it. Now, if there's any leftover space, she takes bacon bits and pieces from what she had to trim, and she just kind of throws it in there. And then that's it. And, of course, then that gets pressure canned for us at 15 pounds um, for uh, 90 minutes.
2: You guys must be at a higher elevation than us.
1: Uh, we're at three seventy, three eighty, something like that.
2: Three hundred.
1: Yeah.
2: Oh, I'm just, I'm I'm like zero, but I'm ten. We're ten pounds usually here. Yeah,
1: so yeah. That's then important. We're,
2: that's important for people to know. You have to know what your what your poundage is.
1: Right, right. And she she went over that. Yeah. So as I talked to her about this, you know, she said, "Well, this is pretty." I'm like, "Well, I'm really more efficient than that, and I don't have to have pretty baking because it's not going to be right anyway."
2: Yeah, me neither.
1: So she said, okay, then what you're going to want to do, since you're going to want to do a single serving or even a two serving jar, is you're going to want to use pints or half pints depending on how many people you have. So we talked about it. She said, basically, just cut your bacon up into one inch sections. So you cut across your bacon strips in one inch okay. sections. And you basically pack it in the jars.
2: Now, are you really packing it in like? Pushing, pushing it in, or are you just
1: loosely packing it in? We're loosely packing it. We loosely pack it, back, you know, put it in there. Therefore, we still had a little bit of our headspace. Okay. So, to me, so as we talked about this, as the water's going and we're getting jars sterilized and we're going through all this, we're discussing this. And to me, it was really important because I was asking her what it was going to be like when I opened it. And she says, it's just going to kind of be just cooked, wet kind of bacon. But it's cooked, you can eat it.
2: Now you need to. You, you made a mention of headspace, that word, and headspace for people that haven't canned, and um, there's a lot of men that can. So this is this is not a woman-only podcast, but the headspace is different, and it's very important um, because too much ox, um, too much air left in the jar, and not and not enough for things to expand, um, can cause your your pressure canning or even your water bath canning to to fail. So a lot of fruits might say, like your jellies might say, fill to a quarter of an inch. Um, Whole fruits might say, fill it to an inch um, and then add liquid around your your fruit. You want to make sure you get the air bubbles out, but you always want to read that recipe to make sure that you see what your headspace is, because each um, type of vegetable or fruit or sauce or jam is going to be different.
1: Right. So she she said we were going for quarter-inch headspace, so we didn't pack. We we were going to use bacon bits for the little containers, Mm -hmm. but by the time we got done trimming it and then the taller jars, we just ended up packing it all in the taller jars. But I'm going to start over this weekend with our new training session, and I'm going to do it in half pints and uh, pints. But as we talked about it, I said, okay, so she goes, all the grease is going to settle to the bottom, the bacon will be on the top. I'm like, okay, so to me, in a half-pint jar, in a grid down, I got my wood-burning stove, I take a pan, and I pull out some bacon, and I throw it in the pan, and I start warming it. Then I get the grease out of the bottom, and I take half of my grease, because I, I saw how much grease comes out of it. I take half of the grease, and I put it in a cup for later, for dinner, for like green beans or something. The other half of the grease, I'm going to put in a separate pan, and I'm going to go grab some of my potatoes, onions, and garlic from my garden, and I'm going to start cooking that while my bacon's cooking. Then, yeah. after my bacon gets, you know, it, it's already cooked. I'm really just warming it. I'm no, going to go out. should
2: have eaten before we did this podcast. <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah. So, then I'm going to go out and I'm going to grab some eggs from my chicken coop and I'm going to throw a dozen eggs in there and I'm going to scramble it up with my bacon. Yep. Yeah. And in, you know, 30 minutes, I've got bacon and eggs scrambled and I've got potatoes with onions and garlic in bacon grease and we have a, a breakfast for you know five or six people. Mhm. It just you, it just blew me away that it fixed all of the grease and oil and bacon problems. Yeah. This yeah. is all shelf stable. Go
2: ahead.
1: Yeah, this is just it makes it makes bacon and and the oils and the greases that our bodies need shelf stable. mm Mhm. Um, now, do
2: you see why I wanted you
1: to do pressure canning? Yes, yes. And, okay. and, and now, I mean, the other theory, you know, and it goes beyond bacon, is when we get into uh, canning venison, pork, chicken, whatever, you know, I'll just take pork as an example. You know, you've got a, a quart jar of of pork. And basically all you do is you pull it out, you put it in a pot. It's already cooked. You know, you can eat it right then, but if you put it in a pot and you put some water on it and you put some potatoes, carrots, celery, anything you want from your garden, yep. you know, in 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 an hour or two, in a couple hours, you've got, you know, roast or stew or whatever.
2: Not even a couple hours. Right, well, I'm just yeah.
1: looking at your potatoes and your carrots. But, yeah, I mean, <laughs> but but you, you've got a meal where the meat's already cooked. Well, usually you're waiting on the meat, but in and this then, case you're, you're waiting on the vegetables. Yep,
2: and you even need to go a little bit further. So when you're out there... And you have your chicken that's, you know, that, that was producing and now no longer producing, you know, laying eggs. Or you're raising meat chickens. When you slaughter a chicken and you bring it in the house, I, I, I don't know if you were on following my, my website or my Facebook page. I actually put up the, um, I took one chicken and it was a foster farm chicken. It was a chicken that was in the bottom of my freezer and I was cleaning it out. But I wanted to see how many meals I could get out of that one chicken. And because I started doing freezer cooking meals so that every every, you know, week I'll cook a whole bunch of meals and I'll put them in the freezer. And then um, I'll take them out for this summer because we work sun up to sundown and we come inside, we're starving, we don't have anything to eat. So dinner is literally only about 20 minutes away. Right. By doing this. So I took one chicken. And I cooked it, and I got nine meals out of it and seven quarts of um, chicken stock.
1: Okay. So you got nine meals out of one chicken for two people.
2: Yep, for two people. And seven quarts of chicken stock, which is quite a bit of money. I mean, those seven quarts of chicken stock, homemade chicken stock, was way more than the... If you buy it in the grocery store, it would have cost way more than that chicken cost me.
1: Well, yeah, and you can and you can buy the chicken the chicken broth in the store, and they come in quarts. Yeah. I don't buy them, so I don't know what they cost. But yeah, I mean that's money saved.
2: Oh, it was it, that that chicken alone was um, a big saving, and I made five chicken pot pies, which are frozen up in the freezer, waiting for us to bring it down. Um, we made chicken cilantro rice soup. Um, We had roast chicken one night, and I covered the whole chicken in chipotles with adobe sauce. Uh So our chicken stock, you know, when I went to go boil the the chicken bones, I threw everything, including the leftover chipotle peppers. So it's got a really cute kind of um, smoky flavor to it.
1: A cute flavor. i got to remember that one. (laughs) Yeah,
2: it's it's a cute smoky flavor.
1: (laughs) Now, now that that was one the girl had mentioned when Dawn was explaining the training um that when i was talking about venison and pork she says well you really kind of want to bone it out because you're trying to put this in a jar so you want to use the jar for as much meat as possible you don't need to save bone and you know i th- i know some people will say yeah well you know the bone's good for this or that and i understand that uh but yeah we did bone everything out but it just to me the bacon grease and the butter it it solved that whole problem i mean if you've been in prepping long enough so you're going to hear the story and it's about if you're in a grid down scenario or you're out somewhere and you're out there for a year and you eat nothing but rabbit it can actually kill you because rabbit has wild rabbit doesn't have enough fat in it for the body to to process everything so, from what I understand, you actually get a protein overdose without the oils that your body needs to function properly.
2: We do need fat. We need real fat in our bodies to consume, to to work properly.
1: Right. I mean, and, and everybody gets all wound up in the low cholesterol, low fat, blah, blah, you know. And I think it's taking people the opposite direction and it's making them more unhealthy.
2: Oh, yeah. Totally. You know, just, well, you can see it in their face when you look at them. And their hair, their hair is dry, and, and, you know, you have to cut it shorter. And you can you can just, once you start looking at people and you start learning and you go back to the way of eating from the 40s before we started working with all the, the chemicals, and don't get me started on this, but but you start looking at people and you start eating the right way and growing your own food and getting farther and farther away from, from the grocery store. I mean, we, I, I, okay, I bought apples for the first time and um, as fruit, my husband takes his lunch. He has um, vegetables, fruit, boiled egg. Um, I make his lunch every day for him when he goes off to work. And this was the, I had to, I, I was in town and I stopped and I bought apples for the first time. And it, fruit and vegetables, we haven't had to buy at all because we, we used what we, we're still using what we saved and stored from um, starting last May.
1: See that's awesome. See that's what I want to. That's where I want to get. I mean, since we've had this place, and I think we're at, I think we're at almost three years, or we're at three years. When we first got here, we had a peach, a plum, and an apricot tree. And when those trees decide they're going to put out, and it's time to pick, it's time to pick like in three days. Mm-hmm. They just boom. And then we got here, and I did two apples, two pears. Uh, this late this last year, I did two nectarines and I just did two limes. And I'm waiting to see if the limes made it through the frost we just had. But that's the, that's the goal is to be self-sufficient. As, as, as I got into this, into the prepping and then talking with you and listening to, uh, Bob's, you know, two podcasts and then, you know, some of the stuff with Sphereco and listening to the paleo diet, I look back at stuff and I, I just, I see my grandparents. My grandmother was ninety years old, and died with a cigarette in her hand at ninety. Yeah. And everybody's like, "Leave her alone! This woman is ninety years old, and she was, and she would, she would a- eat eggs and bacon, and she'd fry it in butter. Yep. Every morning, you know. It's and then I get with Dave, and Dave finally got us converted. Uh, apparently, this this last year was my year of conversions, because <laughs> Dave he would come over and we would pull a tub of margarine out. Oh, gosh. And he was like, dude, that is like three molecules away from being plastic. Mm-hmm. And he would just lose his mind, so we actually convert it over to butter just so we can keep Dave quiet.
2: Yeah, good for Dave.
1: Yeah, and, 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 and it really works. And now we've, we've, we've really, we've, we've gone to that. Now, since we happen to be talking about butter, um, the butter thing was actually way simpler than anything else I'd ever done. So how did she do it? Well, the way she did it, because I was just there observing, but I saw how easy it was. Now, they brought butter in, and I, and I found out after the fact that it was salted butter. Okay. I didn't notice that it had that much salt in it, but I'm not a big salt person. But somebody else who sampled the jar that we did open said that they could taste a little bit of the salt. Okay, they brought it, and I'm talking about a milk crate of butter. Wow. I mean, this, and again, the bacon and the butter, they did so much of it. But this is stuff that they'd been planning for for a month. So it's like every time you go to the store, yeah, pick up a box, you know, pick up a box of butter, a brick of butter, a, a pack of bacon, and you store this stuff up. So they 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 just sat there for 20 minutes and just unwrapped butter and threw it in this stainless steel pan, this big pot, and they just boiled it and once it, once it got up to where it was a rolling boil they turned it down to where it kept boiling and they said when the the girl, dawn said when the foam stops the water is boiled out oh nice so all it really was is you're boiling the water out because that's where you're going to have your problems and so it just looked like it was a fire going with clean grease
2: now, is that the water, or is that actually the milk liquid that is always, they say, is always in butter?
1: No, it was, she said it was the water that was boiling out. You're evaporating the water. Okay. Because the milk liquid, you'll you'll hear about here here in a little bit. So then we basically just shut it off, left it on the burner, and then started grabbing jars. And, of course, because you don't want to have too much butter out at one time, the butter was always in the half-pint jars. So we loaded up a bunch of half-pint jars... And we pressure canned those for us here at 15 pounds of pressure for one hour. And then the only thing that I saw that was a mistake was those are the little bitty jelly jars. So we filled the bottom of the pressure canner. We should have taken the rack that some of the pressure canners come with, the metal rack, set it on top of those jars before we did the next layer of jars. Because as the water boiled from underneath, it flipped one of the jars over. Oh, wow. Which means that, basically, when it started pressurizing, it pushed butter into the pressure canner. Yes. So, of course, whenever we pulled any of these jars out, they were all covered with grease and butter.
2: You know, that happens even if you don't. I did um, blackberries. You know, blackberries grow here like like yeah. crazy. Yeah, here too. And I did um, blackberries last year, and we actually pressure canned some in water bath. Um, some because they have an acidity level so you can do either right and and they because it it you don't you don't screw the caps on really really super tight just snug just snug um and it sucks the air out and it actually can suck some of the juice out so those are the ones that you want to use first but if they if they're like part way down or whatever okay because you fill you fill them all the way up and then all of a sudden, you pull, it, you pull them out, and they're like, you know, some of them. All my blackberries lost some, a little bit of liquid each, right. in each one. And then I tried the Tatler lids. And um, Did you read my post I did on the Tatler lids?
1: Yeah, I did, and I haven't tried those yet. I haven't seen them, but I haven't really had. <laughs> I, I go to my normal grocery store, and they've got the Balls jars or the Kerr's jars, and that's it. Yeah. So I'll have to look for those.
2: You know what? I don't, I don't think they're worth the money. Because they say tattlers are um, reusable. Well, they are, but you have to, you can only reuse them ten times. So now you're going to, for the little rubber rings, they're they're now, instead of a two-piece lid, it now becomes a three-piece lid. So you have to put the little rubber band on the little white plastic thingy inside the little um, metal ring and then screw it down on the can. But you can't screw it down all the way. You have to leave it loose
1: so and you then, can get your so you can get your decompression on your lid
2: yeah and then once it comes out hot you have to pick it up and you have to screw it down and tighten it then right and and for i did a cost comparison and i think it was 5 cents not even that i mean it it was it was to the point where i would rather buy fresh lids and keep a stock of fresh lids to not have to worry about checking you have to pick them up screw them down real tight and then let them cool and then you have to take the ring off and check every single seal you can't push your finger just to see you know there's no listening for the for the sucking you the know, pop pig. the pop
1: that you get on a regular lid
2: yeah, there's there's no listening listening for that because it doesn't happen. It's just a solid piece of plastic, and you know, and then you have to try to figure. Have a system where you're figuring out how many times you've used that plastic ring because you're only supposed to use it ten times.
1: Okay, well, see, and that, that right there is exactly what you're saying. It's not worth it to me if it's something something else I have to keep track of, mm-hmm. something else I have to monitor, mess with, and it's only saving me a nickel. Yeah. I just assume not.
2: And you know what we do? We actually, I mean, people always throw throw our, because we give jars of food away to, you know, all kinds of presents. And here, try something that we've tried new. Or I always make up these weird batches of jams. And here, try this. So we reuse our lids, but we don't reuse them for canning. We reuse them for, like, when they go down into the craft supplies. um, Right. When they go into the studio. Or they go, they they you know, the, the jar no longer seals because you'll find every once in a while that a mason jar will get a nick on it. Right. Or, you know, I take a Sharpie and at the bottom of the jar, when I notice that I have one jar that is not sealing, I'll put a little dot on it and I'll, I'll, I'll can again with it. And if that can again doesn't seal and I look and it's got a dot on it, then I I put, you know, a little P with a circle and a line across it so I can't pressure can with that anymore. And I have another one that I do the same thing for when I'm doing the food saver. If you have a food saver and you use that hose to suck out the jars, well some of them don't seal properly. So I just T- lift it up, and I'll look, and I'll say, "Oh, it's got an S with a line across it, so that does not seal anymore." Right. And once it has the S and the P's on it, then they go down to the studio, and they get reused to hold, you know, sewing supplies, or you know, um, something else, or it'll go up to um, to the shop and hold screws.
1: Right. Now, see this right here. That right there is the reason that I like to actually, I can read a book, but I need, I want somebody to teach me this stuff. These are the little tricks right here, that, that, I, that I need to know because of are the shortcuts, and they're the, if I have a question, I can't ask a book. You know, actually, to have a live person there is really nice. It's like, she had told us, Dawn had told us that when we were doing both the butter and the meat and everything we were doing, she, she made sure that I had a small bowl of white vinegar and paper towels. Yes. And she said, "Just dip, dip the end of the paper towel and and wipe the top of your the rim of your of your jar before you put the lid on there." I'm like, "Okay, why?" She's like, "Well, the vinegar will sterilize it. It'll clean it. I guess it's kind of an astringent. So it it, it makes sure you get a good seal." Yes. So I was like, "Okay, that was the easy that was the easy answer." And after a couple of minutes, of course, I had another question. I was like, "Why white vinegar?" And she said, really? I don't know. She goes, that's the way I was taught. She goes, there probably isn't a difference. She goes, white vinegar is probably cheaper, which is why her grandmother did it or something. Yeah. But it was, I mean, I asked the question, and she's like, I've never been asked that.
2: Yeah, it probably is because it's cheaper, and it's everybody usually has it. And white vinegar is good for so much stuff, but you can also use it to wipe down the jars after they come out of the pressure canner, and it takes that um, water... Um, sediment that you know the hard water stains off of the um jars
1: really see if we were were using soap and dawn dishwashing detergent
2: yeah some people just (laughs) use i think they i don't know if they wipe it they put a little i don't know i'm I'm not going to say anything because there is another trick i don't really give a care you know it's not going to affect the inside of the product so i don't really it's just another thing i'd have to do um And if I'm not going to do the tattler lids, then I'm definitely not going to do anything like that. But um, there's something you can put inside your water for the pressure canner so that you don't get that um, hard water stains on your lids. But the other thing that I was going to tell you is I I have that whole jar system with my little Sharpie on the bottom of the jars. Um, But I also save my lids. And I save the lids not because I plan on reusing them, but because if we ever have a drop-down grid situation where, you know, oh, you know, I'm now canning on our wood stove that we have or the propane tanks that we have, then if I run out of lids, if I run out of my stockpile, then I am going to use the other lids.
1: It, it's your it's your backup. It's your backup to to your inventory, which is your backup to your backup.
2: It is my backup to my backup because they don't, they used to reuse the lids, but they used to have a thicker plastic under the lid, um, a thicker rubber
1: well, let under me, the lid. let me ask you this. Here's one that I had heard, and again, I go back to the way that, 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 you know, I guess our grandparents used to do it, and I never learned this as a kid, so for me to be almost 50 and learning it, to me, I'm, I'm as giddy as a schoolgirl, because this is some cool stuff.
2: Yeah, I, I'm learning it, too.
1: But... I'd always heard that that was one of the reasons you kept the paraffin wax was because if you get a lid or if you have to use a lid, you can heat it up like you normally do to sterilize it and then rub the rim down with with paraffin wax and it will basically act as the rubber seal again.
2: Yeah, that is, and everybody needs to be aware, the way we did things in the olden days, there's a very fine line between and it's not really a fine line, it's a very dangerous line, between the way that we did it back then and the way we're doing it, the USDA tells us to do it now. Now, the USDA tells us to always be, you know, they probably wouldn't let us run around with scissors if they, if, if they could outlaw it. So you have to think about that, you know. But then you have the, the way they did things back in the olden days, the paraffin wax for over the jellies and everything like that, They have found out to be dangerous when mold grows on the top of it and you scoop the mold off and you throw it away, but then you eat the rest of the jelly. What they've actually found out is that there is mold spores down in the bottom of the jelly jar that you're still eating. So when um, my husband and I, when I started canning, we started practicing extreme safety um, cleaning practices. So every time we put something in the jar, um, like a fork to, because he has these carrots, pickled carrots that he loves. So all the carrots at the end of the season, I pickled them to save them. Um, and, you know, you open up something in the fridge, you eat a couple of carrots, and then you put it back. And I would look at him and say, okay, you just put that fork in your mouth, put right. it back in the jar, and then put it in your mm. mouth. Right. And he's like, well, I'm going to eat it. And I said, I know, but let's get out of the practice of doing that because if we really are dependent upon having um, being germ-free because we, we won't be able to go see a doctor, right? we want to, we want to already have that in practice. Well,
1: yeah, it's like me and my son, uh, my, my boy Thomas, he's nine, and whatever daddy's doing, he's going to be doing. Yes. So, I mean, if, if, if I open up a, a jar of pickles... You know, I'm going to reach in there with a fork, and I'm going to grab me three or four pickles, and I'll put them in a bowl, and I'll walk away. And then, you know, he'll grab some, and he'll put some in a bowl. And then, if he wants a couple more, I make him go throw the fork in the or the fork in the sink and grab another fork and start over. Yeah. Yeah. When you're, you know, if you practice that, you got to practice that now because when you get to the grid-down scenario, you don't have a doctor.
2: No, and you won't. You it, it's so. I mean. It took us probably three months. I mean we both did it and it took us about three months of consciously thinking about it until we got to a point where we no longer do that. So you don't ha you're not have you are not going to have the time to think about it when you're gonna need that. Does
1: that yeah. make sense? Yeah, well you gotta retrain yourself and that, that that's an important point there in that as preppers I think a lot of us, at least the serious preppers, we are constantly training ourselves to think as if we're in a grid down, as if we're in a a catastrophe. Is that your kitty in the background?
2: Yes, that was my cat.
1: (laughs) Well, it's it's dark here, so you can't hear my guineas. (laughs) I thought that was the cat. So, yeah, we have to train ourselves to be in the grid down. Um, I think that I would mentioned to Bob here just a while back about how we had that that second ice storm that came through, and it was actually worse than the first one that we had, and now we're getting ready to have another one. Um, But to us as preppers, it's not a catastrophe. We don't run to the store to get a bunch of stuff, like everybody else, and you have the empty shelves. All I did was I took the generator out of my shop, brought it up closer to the house, put it in my dad's barn, and I started it up to make sure it would start. I made sure that I had, you know, Three, three gas cans up here so that I could run for days. I didn't have to go get gas. And I made sure that I loaded up the wood up here by the house so I didn't have to walk far to get wood. And it was an, in, you know, if, if we had lost power, which we didn't, it would have been an inconvenience. You know, we have flashlights. We have all of our all of batteries. You know, we have batteries up here. We've got a wood-burning stove. We would have been warm. You know, we'd have sat around. We'd have played board games. It would have been an inconvenience. It wouldn't have been a catastrophe it is for everybody else.
2: But you know, you have to say if you wanted to, if you really wanted to have some good um, entertainment, you could go to the stores and watch everybody.
1: Yeah, no, no, I'm not, I'm not going there because that's a potential for a problem. <laughs> Actually, that was that was a conversation I had today. Um, I've got a friend named Jenny who's in Houston, and. We, she's another one of my prepper buddies that we talk about all kinds of stuff and she's into the canning and we just talk about all kinds of stuff and she said that the last time they had hurricanes come through they lost power for three weeks and to me that's pretty serious and she said that they had water they had she had enough fuel to run the generator when she needed to and she, of course she she knew what to do and she ran the generator during the day but not at night and you know and she had it all worked out she's like yeah she goes we went into town once or twice and decided not to do it again yeah. because we didn't have to go and let you know have FEMA there to give us our you know here's two meals for the next two days for your family she our goes brother. we just went home yeah well uh, you know to get back to canning
2: because it's, it's getting long this is getting long I don't want anybody to uh, drop off um, I have a couple books okay. that I really, um, I want you to look into just to see if you want them. Because, you know, you know how you buy can, cans of beans? Yeah. And you were talking, you know you can do that yourself.
1: Yeah, yeah. And beans actually grow a little easier here than most things.
2: Yeah, well, um, take you can just take dried beans and you can put them. people, I had somebody the other day say, oh, don't ever pressure can those. It was on a Facebook forum. And I was like, what do you mean don't ever pressure can? And my girlfriend does it. She actually was over here, and I was reading it in the book, and she's like, "Oh my gosh!" And she went home and actually did it, and um, called me up and said she opened one up right after she got it out of the pressure canner when it was cooling and started eating them. She said they were really good because you can season them how you want.
1: Okay, canned dry beans.
2: Yeah, you can can dry beans. It's a way to do it, and like baked beans, and. um,
1: But okay, hang on now. But they expand when you when they're when they're in fluid.
2: Yeah. And you're going to put them. You're, you're going to soak them overnight. Um, right here, directions: place dried beans or peas in a large pot and cover with water. Soak 12 to 18 hours in a cold place. Drain water quickly. two. quickly rehydrate beans. You may cover sorted, washed beans boiling in boiling water in a saucepan. Boil for two minutes. Remove from heat. Soak one hour and drain. Okay. So number two is cover beans soaked by either method with fresh water and boiling thirty minutes. Add half a teaspoon of salt per pint. Or one teaspoon per quart for each. Um, if desired, fill jars with beans or peas and cooked cooking water, leaving one inch headspace. Adjust lids and process. I mean, you have to read the rest of it. Don't go off and do that just from what right, I, right, from right. what I read. But it's it. This book literally goes through how to do the dried and shelled peas, beans. How to make baked beans and do green beans and beets, corn, kernel corn, um, and. Uh, creamed corn, and those are actually two different processes. Huh. Okay. And and it's it's a it's actually a huge book, and it covers just about everything a uh, homesteading person would would want to do. It's like nine hundred pages, eight hundred and some pages, and it's called the Illustrated Encyclopedia of Country Living, and it's by Abigail Gehring, G E H R I N G. Okay. And it, I like it because there's lots of pictures.
1: Yeah, we love. And, I like to see what, the, what my finished product is look like versus you know what I'm doing in the middle of the process.
2: Yeah, and it's just got a good canning section in it, even how to make um, maple syrup. But it's just got a little bit of everything. But the canning section, um, it's basically my go-to if I want to learn how to uh, how to do a different um, like the fruits. All requires some sugar and more sugar than than others. Um, and, and I did peas and I did green beans last year. I did corn last year. Um, I did corn because I didn't want to buy corn that was genetically modified anymore. So I um, grew all of our own corn, um, canned it up, froze some, and then canned a batch just to see what it would look like and what it would taste like.
1: Yeah. How did it turn okay. out? Have you, have you tested it yet?
2: Um, I don't know. I tested the frozen stuff, and it was absolutely fabulous. Okay. And then, actually, here's something, because I'm really into being frugal. My, um, I cut off the kernels on the corn, froze it in, the, in, in, in canned you know, parts of them, and then I took the corn on the cob that was already spent and stuck it in Ziploc bags and stuck it, I have a whole shelf in my freezer, and stuck it in my freezer. For? And then... I take it out, um, I take about five or six cobs once a week out and I feed it to my chickens as a treat.
1: There you go, there you go, yeah. that's what I do. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, we don't, we don't, we don't, That we've got two bowls <laughs> that sit next to our microwave and one is for vegetables for the rabbits and the other is for just everything else for the chickens yeah. because it's crazy but chickens love chicken.
2: Yes, they
1: do, don't they? Now, um, I'm going to mention the other book, the book that I started with. It's the Ball Blue Book, uh, Guide to Preserving. Um, I think I got mine at Walmart when I got my kit. For
2: like seven bucks. Did you say you got your kit from Walmart? My kit. kit?
1: My kit. Not kit. The ex-wife was from Sam's. (laughs) Yeah, but I got my I got my I got my 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 water bath canning kit, which is a funnel and a magnet, and you'll you'll see the whole thing. And so I got it all there at Walmart, and I got my book there, my balls uh, blue book there, and,
2: and it's like seven bucks.
1: Yeah, I think my kit was like fifteen, which mm-hmm. had a couple of things, and some I liked, some I didn't. And now I now I know what I like and what I don't like as far as mm-hmm. the tools, and I just go buy them individually now. Yes. But I've got two or three of the canning funnels. Um, and I, I just, I like buying them because they're big mouth funnels for jars, but I use them for my laundry soap and all kinds of stuff. Okay, so I mentioned a book, you mentioned a book, what other books have you got that we can reference?
2: Well, I have one that, I have a, a lady here in town, she's got, she's probably, if she listens to this, she's probably going, she didn't mention that one. Um, it, it doesn't have any pictures in it, I do use it, but, um. It's the Encyclopedia of Country Living. It's not the illustrated, and it's by Carla Emery. Is that
1: the huge book?
2: It's huge. Yeah. The other one is huge, too. They're both exactly the same size. I don't use this one very much, but everybody else swears by it.
1: Yeah, I've got it right here. Um, I've got the 35th uh, anniversary.
2: i got the 40th. I beat you.
1: Oh, yeah. Well, yeah I might have had my... But it, 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 is, um, it is probably every bit of two inches thick. Oh, yeah. And the size of it, it's a big book. It's a big book, and I've used it for reference. It's got way too much information, I think, for me at this point. But when when, when push comes to shove, it'll be nice to have.
2: It's good to have um, on your, and it is exactly two inches. I just measured it for you. (laughs) (laughs) You know, when you go
1: to Ikea. Oh, I, I can't, yeah, I love that place, but I can't go there.
2: Well, if you ever go there, at the very front of the section when you walk in, they have those paper tape measures. (laughs) Grab a handful? I I picked some up, and I fold them up, and I stick them in my wallet. So if I'm ever going somewhere, and there's something that I want to make, or I want to knit, or or sew something, I can take out my tape measure, and I can measure all of its dimensions. Now, Tabitha,
1: you know men hate (laughs) measuring tapes. What? You know men hate measuring tapes.
2: Well, this is paper, so oh, okay. it's not really a measuring
1: tape. <laughs> um, another good book that I've got that again, it's a, it's another book that I don't get into very often. But if I've got a prepper or, to me, I call them old timer question, it's it's country wisdom and and know how everything you need to know to live off the land. And it is a it's bigger than the other book. It's it's probably only an inch, inch and a half, uh, uh thick. And it was 20 bucks.
2: Now, does it have a canning section in it?
1: Yes, it does. There you go. It's health and well being.
2: Now, for people that are starting out, that are brand new to it, There's two books that I absolutely love and it is, they're books for the water bath canning. And if you just want to try the water bath, you don't actually need that water bath pot. You can use if you have a huge stock pot that's really tall so that you can get, and you know, like you put a pint or a quart jar in the bottom and you take your metal rings. Those uh, pl- those metal rings that you put on the jars, and you line them in the bottom of them, so your jars sit up off of the off of the um, plate, off of the floor of uh-huh. the uh, pot, and you put them there. And if you can fill that pot up with two inches of water above the jars, and still have enough um, room for the bubbling for the boiling, that that's what I used. And um, gosh, I w- I used that for at least seven years when I was doing my jams.
1: Yeah. See, when I got when I started water bath canning, that's what I used. Was it was one that I already had that somebody had given me that I got at the yard sale. So I just got the kit from Walmart, which is basically just the tongs to pick up the jars and the lids, and yeah. that was it. I mean, that's what I used.
2: Yeah. And the books for just to get started in in the water bath canning and and pickling process is there. There's two of them. There's called one is Put 'em Up. And, this, and they're both called Put 'em Up. One is Put 'em Up Fruit, and okay. one is just Put 'em Up. And it's got fruits and veggies. And they're by Sherry Brooks Vinton. Enjoy. And they literally like give me a vegetable or a fruit. Apricots. Oh, you would choose a, a one that I wouldn't know if it was there. There's See that? Apples.
1: Well, because I have an apricot tree.
2: There you go. An aspar. Nope, they don't have apricots, but they have apples and asparagus. Okay, I don't like asparagus. This one. Gosh, huge apple section. Oh, apricots. Okay, in her in the uh, put 'em up fruit, she has recipes for classic apricot jam, and how to use the jam in with spring rolls. A quick apricot jam with a recipe for it. An apricot sauce, probably kind of like an applesauce. An apricot habanero salsa.
1: There we go. Now we're talking. Mm-hmm.
2: And dried apricots. Apricots in honey syrup. And that's it for apricots. So each section has, has um, like a vegetable. In the first book, it's like a vegetable. And then it tells you everything you can do with that vegetable. And I, I used this all fall when I went up there and I had cabbage and, um, I wanted to know what to do with the cabbage, and I made chow chow, and, uh, and what to do with all of the carrots that we had, so this book is great if you have big scale garden, and you want to figure out interesting ways, and you just want to start getting into the canning,
1: right, okay, okay, um, let's see what else we got, um, one of the other things that this girl just to just to kind of close this off is one of the other things that uh, that Dawn had done was while we were waiting, um, the guy that we were at his house, we he he had ten buckets, and when you're doing buckets, I found that there was a very big difference between the way people do them. Mm-hmm. One, I right now I'm still I was still focused on short term. No, so you're I,
2: talking. The, you're talking the five gallon plastic buckets, right? Okay.
1: Right. Okay, she does Mylar bags. I don't do Mylar bags, you know, yet. I'm getting ready to start because now I've gotten to where I've got a, a two-year food food storage. So now I'm going to start to think beyond that, which is where she's at. Mm-hmm. Um, but when they went to do the buckets, they filled a five-gallon bucket with rice.
2: And only rice.
1: Only rice. And and to and me, that's that's how we do it. See, now I don't do it that way because, to me, once you open that bucket of rice... You have to use that rice, and that's just—that's a lot of rice. See, I don't
2: do five gallons. I do everything in number 10 cans.
1: Right, right, because you, you've, you've got your place up there. Mm-hmm. But see, that to me, in a five-gallon bucket, five gallons of rice or five gallons of pinto beans is too much. I've actually converted a friend of mine over who I met. Um, he's a buddy of Dave's, and now we, we're all good friends. He has a 55-gallon drum of pinto beans. He just made himself a grocery store.
2: Yep. I know a lot of people that store things in 55-gallon drums.
1: Right, but the, th- the problem yeah. is once you open it, you have to use it, w- at least within a year, so he became the general store.
2: You know what I what I do and what I would do if I was storing? Um, I have a couple 5-gallon buckets in, in our storage, and I take the Mylar bags, the smaller Mylar bags, and I fill them with, you know, I think rice is in one of them, and sugars in another. I filled them with rice, and I sealed them, and I put them in. So I would open up the five-gallon bucket, and I would just grab a package of rice out. Right, the But, bu-
1: the but you're doing a variety bucket there. You're doing a variety bucket there, and the bucket is just to keep rodents off of your bags.
2: And it's it, well, rodents eat through that. The they can. Cans.
1: <laughs> right.
2: Yeah, my number ten cans are pretty much the rodent-proof stuff.
1: Yeah, and that's and that's what when when I went to Dawn's class here a couple of weeks ago, that was what she had done. She had all the cans and all the stuff, and we talked about all kinds of stuff and and oils and this and that. I, still, the one killer that just drives me insane is dehydrated milk because dehydrated milk is so expensive.
2: Not if you get it at that um, at the LDS store.
1: Yeah, see, to me, it, it would be that expensive because if I went there to get it, I'd have to drive from my place to Dallas, which is an hour and a half, almost two hours, some of the time I got done with gas. But, hey, they got an Ikea up there, so I can do that.
2: And you can get your paper tape measure.
1: <laughs> yeah, you
2: know. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, when we went... We, we came back with a full low riding car,
1: oh yeah, oh yeah, and
2: we saw other people that went and it's a once to twice a year thing it's not something that you do all the time I go i I was going all the time because I actually loved the the lady the the husband and wife team that, that ran that place I mean I, I adopted them as my family because they're so they were so awesome so I would go in there and and help them whenever I whenever i I could yeah um, but you go in there and you're buying you're saving your money and you're going in there and you're coming out with a ton of food and you may be spending i mean i probably had 400 dollars worth of food and my car was loaded i had i can fit 30 boxes in my car when i take the seats out yeah and i had i had all 30 boxes i mean i was full and i don't think i spent more than I think one purchase was seven hundred but that was the that was the uh, expensive stuff the beans, not the beans the um, the onions dehydrated onions dehydrated carrots, and the milk I think a can of milk was eight eight or nine dollars yeah
1: yeah it was just... worth
2: it i mean it it, it it was i don't know what they are now because the uh, FDA kind of made them change the way they do business.
1: Um, yeah. There there was there's a there's a there's a thump right there. You'd mentioned the FDA and all that earlier. Um what I think people need to realize is one, but you're not gonna find how to can butter anywhere. Because no. the FDA does not approve canning butter.
2: No, they do not. Okay. You're not gonna figure out how to can um you're not gonna find how to can uh pumpkin Pumpkin butter, which is what I'm trying to find somebody that cans pumpkin butter okay. because all I want to know, I know I have to pressure can it. I just want to know what's the poundage, what's the and recipe, what's the, and what's the minutes.
1: Right. Okay. Now, now this will lead in, so somebody's going to answer that question. But here's it, this goes back to some places I have been where they are very heavily FDA controlled. Okay. Mm-hmm. Here's the way it works: it is out here locally we have. The Ozarka water plant. And out there, I've talked to people that work there, the reasoning that the FDA says that bottled water is a year or two years or whatever it is, is because the FDA says that if it's stored in the worst possible condition, what's the life expectancy of this product? Mm -hmm. Okay, I've been out there and it's been 110, 120 degrees in that plant. And I have been out there and it's been 35 degrees in that plant. So you have extreme temperature changes. So when you pick up something and it says that this bottle of water or whatever the product is, is good for one year, that's in extreme cases. That is why you and me and, and other people who kind of know this try to keep our preps and our food in a, in, a, in a stable environment or at least one that doesn't have very quick, very drastic temperature swings.
2: Exactly.
1: So, I mean, you can go into that. I mean, Everything. It's the Food and Drug Administration food is that way drugs are that way you know unless you're dealing with an antibiotic you know you're pretty safe beyond your, beyond your you know your, your time range. You know they say you're not and that's fine you can deal with all that on your own and but it's just
2: they need to do the research on that stuff and they need and, and everybody needs to do the research on it and they need to come to the to the understanding what they feel is safest for them. Right, because people say you shouldn't use canned foods after one year, um, and other people say no, you can use them up to ten years, but your food quality degrades after starts degrading after a year. So it, it's all it, it you know half a half, half a dozen six of one, well, one dozen see, another.
1: Okay, now in the military, of course you know if the food degrades and it starts not tasting as good, it's going to taste like an MRE. Yeah. Okay, our troops eat that right now. Mm-hmm. Okay. When I, I was in, I was in during MREs, but I was in during sea rations too. I mean, I was in there for the transition, and we're talking about stuff that had like a nineteen sixties date on it, and this is in like the mid eighties, and I was eating it. You know, so apparently, you know, at, you know, sea rations were not governed by the FDA, but we still ate it. And fruitcake tastes like fruitcake. It was nasty. You know, but. You know if the can our art what we were tra- taught was if the can isn 't swollen and it doesn 't have an off smell it 's probably okay
2: but botulism doesn 't have a smell
1: nope, see there you go
2: botulism doesn 't have a smell, and when you're pressure canning. Um, or your water bath canning, you want to make sure you follow the guidelines and the rules right and and they 're very simple and and it 's you know what 's the what 's the pressure that you keep and how many minutes do you do it, and you keep the jars clean, you keep everything hot, you sterilize everything before you keep your whole place clean. And then you can everything up. You wipe the lids. You make sure there's no air bubbles in what you're packaging because corn can get air bubbles. So you, you run the, the knife or the little plastic tool that they have around, get the air bubbles out, and that does affect your, your um, head space. Headspace. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, everything from the time when you start, when I start, to the time when I'm finished, it is nothing but one – my kitchen is never cleaner than when I am canning because – Botulism has absolutely no smell. And if you do something wrong and then you open up that can two years later, three years later, and you go to eat it, um, 10 days later, you might start having, you got to look up the uh, the symptoms for botulism. Yeah. It, it, neurological, you, you, know, you can have, you know, like, you just feel off. Yeah. Now, on another note, I don't want to scare people. On another note, I think it was last year, the last two years, there haven't been any botulism deaths. Yeah. Report
1: it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, a lot of that's, I don't know. It's it's this is this is really, but it, but to me this is this was very eye opening for me, and that I could do this, and this really did a lot for my preps. And it, it, again, it's a whole new world for me now because I was doing my my canning, but my canning was getting old because it was just jellies and pickling stuff, and now I had to have vinegar for that. Now I found a way to preserve all my meat so this is this this has been really eye opening and really great
2: your meats uh, your vegetables oh yeah i mean and you're you're talking your beans i mean say I mean, it's the cost-saving alone. Pretty soon, you're going to be like me, and you're going to have two pressure canners. Now, when you go to buy a pressure canner, you, you've got one now. Um, does it have a rubber ring? Do yes. you have to have the rubber seal? Yes. So you're going to need to make sure you stockpile those or you get some extras, because the All-American canning jars do not have them.
1: That's that's another thing that she told us there, was that, was that if you can't, you've got this one, which is the, the rookie you know, pressure canner. Next time, get the other one. So, therefore, you have your, you know, your Pinto and then your Cadillac.
2: Mm-hmm. And why would you want to go out and spend all of the money on a Cadillac if you're not even sure you're going to want to drive?
1: Right, right, right.
2: You know, so, and I'm going to guarantee you right now, you're going to want to do this. And I don't know anybody here that cans that only has one in where, where I live. And I was shocked when I didn't have any, and then all of a sudden I get one. And then I only got another one because I told um, the lady that um, I was... A lady came to, came to see me, and she sees my garage, and she goes, oh, you got a whole bunch of jars. I had four cases of pint jars, and I said, yeah, those will be gone in a, in a week um, because I was canning up our vegetables. And she asked me if I wanted more, that she had a friend that was elderly that was getting out of it. And for $100, I got a water bath canner, <laughs> a pre, an all-American, in-the-box, brand-new pressure canner, and about seven, eight cases of jars.
1: Yeah, so that's awesome.
2: And, it, you know, so you just put the word out there that you want these and take all the jars you can get because you can buy the rings and you can buy the lids for
1: them. Yeah, really cheap. Saying that right there sounds like the story out of Glenn Tate's book because in one of the books that scenario comes up where there was an old lady who had, you know, had a bunch of jars that she didn't need, a bunch of stuff, and they handed them over.
2: And she had a stockpile full of Tatler lids.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> now, here here's something else. We'll close up with this. Um... Here's something I found: is I've I've uh, I've got a friend in Oklahoma that I talked to, and I've got the friend in Houston that I talked to, and then I just met Don over in Longview area, and all three of these people are all telling me the same thing: they they hadn't met anybody that was a serious prepper. They've yeah. heard about them, but they can't meet them, and. For Dawn, the girl that taught us canning, she's just beside herself that she found, you know, two or three people that are really serious about it and do buckets and do this and do that. And now we're actually starting to do this a lot more together, you know, and my friend in Houston, you know, me and her talk about it all the time. And now I've got a friend in, in Oklahoma. So for the people who are not finding, and me and Dave are really big on our network and our group, you know, and then Tabitha, you and me talk all the time. About this stuff is that there are people out there. They may not be close enough, but they are people you can talk to and you can work with and you can get training from. But don't don't despair that you know preppers are out there. We are out there. We're not. You know, a lot. The problem with preppers is sometimes they're a little quiet.
2: I think up here where I am, they're 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 here because this is an area where they do. But they are extremely quiet. I don't know
1: them. Right, and that's I funny. You know, they may not. You know, and they they may have heard you know heard you you know doing a podcast or or seen your site, but not know you where you are or who you are.
2: Yeah, you know, uh they probably think I'm crazy because I'm so outspoken about it.
1: Yeah, yeah, and they don't want to you know worry about you know the government coming after you for your oh, food no. stores.
2: And if you're on my you know my Facebook page, I don't talk about it as prepping; it's homesteading because this is just a way of life. It becomes a way of life. It, it really, so, it really does. It does. So yeah, I have a six thousand square foot garden. I grow every everything that we eat. I preserve everything that that we eat. We we raise chickens for eggs, we have our vegetables and stuff. But it's just the way of life and I love this life.
1: No, me too. It's just when when Dave started me on this and it became the awakening mm-hmm. and then I took off. Of course he you know, I was going through my stuff with, with you know with my marriage and it, it, it gave me a purpose. And I took off, and I I far exceeded where Dave was, and now he's catching up. But it is—it's a lifestyle. It really okay. is. Now, um, I know that. Uh, uh, go ahead and uh, uh, give us your web, your your Facebook page for your for your Thumper Lane.
2: Okay, my uh, Facebook page is Thumper Lane Homestead. And we also have a YouTube channel where we put probably videos up at least once a week. And that is also Thumper Lane Homestead. We're on Google+, which is Thumper Lane Homestead. And we have a web page, which is um, ThumperLane.com. And I am also on Pinterest, which you can find through the, through the web page. And I think I probably have 8,000 pins. And I have a good board for survivalism. Um, so whenever I see something, I follow some really great people that post a lot about surviving. So when I find something there, I'll
1: pin that up there. Okay. Um, and then for us, I, I don't think that I've ever mentioned it with Bob before. I mean, I know I've mentioned our Facebook group, but our Facebook group is N E Texas Preppers, which becomes Northeast Texas Preppers. And if you go into the About tab, um, you'll see where we've got our uh, our YouTube site. And some other links, and of course it links back to Bob's site. Um, but we're out there. Uh, we're there as a resource. Um, neither one of us are making money on this at all. We're just we're doing it. It's a passion, and it is a lifestyle. So I think I think we we really enjoy it. Uh, Tabitha, you got anything else you want to throw in there? Well,
2: yeah. Bob has a Facebook page. I
1: noticed. Yes, well, that's been yeah. Actually, once I I saw that, I think it went up in in early to mid December, and David posted something on it, and I caught it because I I'd been real busy through Christmas, and I just got with my entire group, and I started throwing them at date at Bob's site, and I think I got him like fifty more likes in in a weekend. Yep. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, go go over and check out Bob's uh, new Facebook site. I was kind of I kind of. I was, I'm on the forum and I mentioned it. And it's kind of a cross between the podcast site and the forum in that it's interactive. Where the yes. podcast site is just talks about the podcast and the forum's interactive and you can get to the podcast. But the Facebook is a good mesh of both.
2: I like, I like Facebook because I, it doesn't take any time for me to log on. And I am on it all the time. So if anybody has any questions... Or they want to see what I do. I post pictures usually about every day of what I'm doing. Um, But I'm on your Facebook page, and I'm seeing your butter, and I'm seeing the bacon, and it looks really good.
1: Oh yeah, yeah. It's it's been a lot of fun. Um, And.
2: If you're buying anything on Amazon, don't forget to go through Bob Main's um, uh, link for Amazon because he does get a small kickback from Amazon.
1: That's right. In fact, Dave actually, when Dave didn't have an Amazon account, when Dave got ready to create his Amazon account, Dave went to Bob's page, clicked on the Amazon link, and created his his login from there. So every time Dave logs in, it's there. Um, Nice. Yeah, I... I can bring up Amazon, but I actually go through Bob's page for everything, and just go that way, and mm-hmm. it's really nice.
2: Yeah. So he gets a kickback because he doesn't do advertisements or anything, so we want to support
1: him. Yes, every time. Yep. All right. Well, it's been great. Uh, I appreciate it, and I'm gonna—I'll send this over to Bob, and we'll see where it goes. But this has been great, and I, like I said, it's again—you were right, and it's, it's a whole new world. <laughs>
2: I'm gonna get you on major flowers next time.
1: Yeah, yeah. I'm still looking for the echinacea, so I can do that. Oh, I got seeds.
2: I'll send you some seeds. Oh, there
1: you go. You okay. Okay. All
2: right. Thank, All right. You. Thank, you. thank you.
1: Thank you, Bob, and thank you, guys. Uh, we'll talk to you guys again later. Bye, bye.
0: Wow. Good info, Joe and Tabitha. Thank you very much. You know what I did with this episode, folks? What I did with this interview? I didn't listen to the entire interview between the two of those before I published it. So this was kind of (laughs) cool. I just recorded an intro, and I recorded this conclusion, and then I put their interview in the middle, and I put it up there for you to listen to it. So, And then I went back and listened to it basically in its entirety for the first time myself. First time I've ever done something like that, folks. I took a chance. But you know what? Joe and Tabitha did not disappoint. Way to go. You you hit the ball right out of the park, both of you. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. You know, I love these guest submissions. I think it's really good that you folks don't always hear from me. I think it's good that you hear from other people that are experiencing the prepping lifestyle and that have some areas of expertise, and they're just going on this journey together that we're all going on. So I think that's kind of cool. Next week, I'm going to talk about some prepping that I've been doing, some improvements that I've made and my family has made, some, some really cool things, and I'm keeping a log and everything, and I'm kind of making a list and so forth. And so that's going to be the topic next week. I hope you enjoyed this with with Mexican Joe and with Tabitha. Please visit their websites. I'm going to put everything in the show notes so you can uh, you can have direct links to all of it. Many thanks to both of you. Well, with all that said and with that interview now in the books, thanks for listening to yet another episode of today's Survival Show, where it's my goal to help you do what you can with what you have, wherever you are in the immortal words of Teddy Roosevelt. Thanks for listening. Talk to you next week. Goodbye.